morning, everyone. I have been following Bill and Kristen around. This is the fourth of their churches that I've preached in. I can't, it's hard to tell where I'll be next. I want to read uh, this morning from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, You were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God. In my family growing up, there were ten kids. Um, I was number eight. I was like 12 years old before I knew chickens had white meat. (laughs) As Nipsey Russell used to say, there were so many people around our table, if you threw the dog a bone, he had to call for a fair catch. And our family dessert was very predictable. Birthday cake. (laughs) The the really strange thing, though, for me, was my three oldest sisters always seemed more like my aunts. In fact, my oldest sister had her first child when I was one one year old. Um, And so we basically grew up together. To this day, he calls me Uncle Brother. His, my nephew's name was Larry. 
And he, uh, he was a horse of a different color. He smoked his first cigarette when he was three. I know this because I was there. And I promptly ratted him out to his grandmother. I've still got a scar from where, uh, when I was five years old, Larry busted a one-quart mason jar over my head. I, I think those six stitches were payback for the tobacco bust. Uh, from the get-go, he was a clearly different kind of cat, a genuine free spirit. Well, the day came for nephew Larry to start school. He wasn't happy about this, but at least he got some new crayons out of the deal. So he does it. He goes off to school the first day, comes home, gets off the bus, marches into the kitchen and announces to his mother, Well, I passed. (laughs) This was his way of saying, I've been there, I'm done with that. (laughs) He was not too happy the next day when his mom rolled him out of bed for day number two of what was going to be a 12-year process. He mistook the solitary act of showing up the first day of school, as important as that is, for the long, arduous journey of becoming educated. This happens all the time in the church. The modern church is full of Larrys. Whether it's the act of getting baptized or signing a card or praying a prayer, there's this widespread tendency on the part of many modern people uh, that, that views Christian faith sort of like getting your driver's license. You, you bone up for the test, and then once you pass it, you forget about that and go on your merry way. Huge numbers of people receiving Christ uh, as a, view receiving Christ as a one-time decision that basically gets them a free pass into heaven when they die. And while no one really comes out and says it like this, Heaven is essentially Disney World without the lines. It's essentially a place where you get to do what you want to do for the rest of eternity. Now, the problem with that is twofold. First off, that is a, biblically speaking, that's a much more closer definition of hell than heaven. And and secondly, there's no way that you can read the New Testament and think that the whole point of salvation is to get you and me into some kind of celestial theme park. Where people get these ideas is a bit of mystery to me, but I can assure you they do not get them from the Bible. And this text in Colossians 3 is just one of many examples of how differently the Bible views salvation and the Christian life from the popular myth out there of salvation as fire insurance. Colossians 3, I think, is one of the strongest biblical texts you can find to demonstrate that what salvation is really all about is the total transformation of human life. It's something that we theologians call sanctification. Now, this text, the temptation with this text is always to jump in verses 5 and follow and start looking at the nuts and bolts of the transformed life, how it happens, what it looks like, etc. But what I would like to do with you this morning is to focus in on the rationale behind this process. In other words, 
why are we supposed to submit ourselves to God transforming us? The Apostle Paul addresses this reasoning behind our call to transformation in the first four verses of this chapter. And to illustrate it, I want to focus in with you just on three very small, often overlooked words. The words are since, for, and then. Since. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. That's an incomplete sentence. Something needs to be tacked on the end of that. Since is a word that requires something to come after it. The dictionary uses the phrase, for the reason that, to define this little word. It's like me as a professor saying to one of my students, you know, since you have done absolutely no work in this course, or maybe my wife saying to me, since you forgot our anniversary last year too, I know that's not over. (laughs) Something else is coming. That little word since tells us that you have not yet heard the last word. It is a word of premise. It is a statement uh, which further reasoning is based upon. And Paul says that getting one's life, spiritual life regenerated is not the end. Rather, it is the beginning of a lifelong process. Saving faith in Jesus Christ is not the goal Instead, it is the necessary starting point. Since you have been raised with Christ, for the reason that you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. Seeing that God has gone to the trouble of resurrecting my spiritually dead carcass and breathing his life-giving spirit into me, God now desires to finish what he has so graciously started, namely transforming me into something worth keeping around forever. And this transformation is summarized here by the setting of our hearts and minds, fixing our attention and our affections on things that transcend this current temporal reality we call earth. Rightly understood, setting our hearts and our minds in this fashion involves the total reorientation of our lives and a radical shift in the way we look at virtually everything. That's why Jesus said, it's like getting born all over again. Conversion. That little word sense means that we just can't say, well, I'm saved, praise the Lord and then sit back and assume that God is done with us. You weren't born again for no reason. You weren't given spiritual life merely for the purpose of someday joining some angelic heart band up in heaven. You were made to be radically, awesomely, and totally transformed. Yes, folks, God fully intends to give all of us an extreme makeover. It's called Christ-likeness. 
Don't you find it interesting the way human beings are drawn to stories of transformation? We love them. Cinderella. Frogs that turn into handsome princes. Underdog teams that somehow end up winning the championship. We can't get enough of those stories. There's something deep within the human soul that resonates with the prospect of transformation. What do we watch on television? Extreme makeover. The biggest loser. Shows that turn everyday people into the next American idol. And so on. And we aren't interested in halfway transformation. There's not a one of you sitting here today that would watch a television show called Totally Nondescript Makeover. Where at the end of the show they yell, move that bus! And the bus moves and you find out that somebody repaired the mailbox and planted a few petunias and slapped some paint on the porch. You're not interested in that. We want to see total transformation. And I'm here to tell you this morning that our God is interested in the very same thing. Our being raised with Christ is the necessary starting point through which we begin this journey of radical transformation. The premise behind our call to to transformation is that we are now totally alive in 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 a different way and birth is necessary because it precedes growth. But apart from growth, birth falls short of its intended purpose. God has awakened us spiritually for a reason. And that reason far transcends eternal fantasies. N.T. Wright says many people find it all too easy to get the idea that one can just believe in Jesus and then do nothing else. Paul, he says, begs to differ. Since then, you're on a journey to transformation. Now, of course, this raises the question of why. Why is setting our hearts and minds in this fashion so necessary? Why does Paul make such a big deal about it? Why can't we just get our sins forgiven and just get on with it? Well, that turns us to our second little word, the word for, F-O-R. Here's why this transformation is necessary. Paul says for, and he could have said because, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The reason or the purpose behind this call to to total transformation is that our identity now lies completely in the person and life of Jesus Christ and everything that he represents. That old life, the old ways, are woefully inappropriate given our new identity in Jesus Christ. And here's the point. We have been given this identity right here and right now. It's not like we have to earn it in any way or prove ourselves worthy of it. We have been claimed by God and thus right now we are hidden with Christ. This is our new identity. It's who we are. And so Paul is essentially saying here, now you need to become who you are. Read down through Colossians 5 to 17 and notice the exhortations. Put to death. 
therefore. Rid yourselves, put off, put on, clothe yourselves, and so on. And in no case are we asked to do those things so that we might somehow earn God's seal of approval. But rather we are urged to do those things in light of what God has already given us. Verse 12 is exemplary. Clothe yourselves. Therefore, as God's people, chosen, holy, and dearly loved, this is who you are. In light of that, clothe yourselves. You're part of the royal family. You can't go around looking like that anymore. You must become who you are. That old self that was so earthbound must make room for this new self which is constantly being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of the Creator. So Paul urges us to develop right here and right now in the present the habits and thoughts of uh, habits of thought and life that truly befit those whose lives are hidden with Christ in God. We We are to clothe ourselves in a manner fulfilling and befitting our new spiritual state. You know, clothing yourself is an intentional act. None of you are wearing what you have on right now by accident. Although I might say parenthetically, some of you are a lot closer to that than others. (laughs) But whatever you have on today, it was a deliberate choice. You put it on. Paul says that clothing ourselves as the transformed children of God requires a certain forethought on our parts, a certain action of our wills. And significantly, every exhortation in this text is written in the second person plural. My wife's from Kentucky. She would say that means y'all. We put on these virtues as a community. Our transformation requires the supportive environment of the church. We are basically all wearing the same spiritual clothing. This is not something that we undertake by ourselves, but it is done within the reality of a supportive community. And notice that we are urged to actually live this transformation right here and right now. Let Christ's peace rule in your life. Let gratitude be your first response. Let Christ's word dwell on you and inform you. Let your entire life be something that Christ could offer to the Father as an offering. Now it's important to see that none of this is done apart from God's gracious provision and the faithful work of the Holy Spirit. But by the same token, none of this is done apart from our intentional choice to take tangible steps towards becoming what we are, men and women whose lives are totally hidden with Christ in God. I was interested to see that in the Christian tradition, going all the way back to the desert monastic fathers and mothers of the third century, all the way through Thomas Aquinas, that the deadly sin we call sloth was primarily viewed as a spiritual vice. In other words, sloth is the old sinful self 
resisting this transformation into the new self that is hidden with Christ in God. And what makes that so precarious is simply this. Right now, our lives are hidden with Christ in God, but our lives will not always be hidden. Our destiny is not to stay hidden. This brings us to our third and final word. Verse 4. The little word then. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear also with him in glory. Uh, This word then is a word of anticipation. It is a word of promise. And the promise is is that someday you and I will finally be made complete in Christ, even sharing his eternal glory. As N.T. Wright said, forget happiness. You are called to a throne. This telos, this goal, or end of sharing in in Christ's glory over the creation is what prompts this call to submit ourselves to this extreme makeover of God's grace. As Harry said to Lloyd, come on, Cinderella, we got to get you ready for the ball. Not often that I quote dumb and dumber. (laughs) And what a ball it will be. We are going to appear with Christ in glory. Glory is a very interesting word. I've been fascinated with it for years. It is a word that signifies a realm of reality that transcends anything we might know or even expect. It's what I like to call uber-reality. Reality taken to its ultimate dimension. Remember in the Old Testament one time Moses spoke to the Lord and said, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, I don't think so. You couldn't take it. No human being can see my glory and survive. In our current state, we are not programmed for glory, folks. And like Moses, we would, we would be disintegrated by the power of that reality. But Paul says, one of these days, that's all going to change. I'm from southern Arizona, Tucson. And every year, my wife and I like to go out and visit. Uh, The year before last, we flew into Phoenix. And instead of driving straight to Tucson, instead I drove to Las Vegas, not for why you think. My wife loves Celine Dion. Personally, I'm more of a Springsteen and E Street band kind of guy, but okay. But my wife loves Celine Dion, so I got tickets to see her show at Caesar's Palace. I went online, I booked uh, tickets, and I booked a room there, cheapest room they had for two nights. I'm checking in, never been there before, and the guy said, "Mr. Walters, why are you in Las Vegas?" I said, "I brought my wife to see Celine Dion." He said, well, I'm going to do something for you. He said, I'm going to upgrade you 
to a corner suite. I said, well, how much is that going to cost me? He said, nothing. It's on the house. So I said, fine. I had no idea what a corner suite meant. I've stayed in some fairly nice hotel rooms in my life. But I was not prepared for what happened when I opened the door to this room. This suite was about half the size of this room. The accoutrements, I mean, motorized drapes, surround sound in the living room, uh, in the dining room, there was a kitchen, uh, there were two bathrooms. One, the master bathroom was big enough to put a soccer team in. We, just, we were just walking through there, our mouths open. It was... It was glorious. Did you notice how I used that word? It described something I'd never even imagined. Paul says, you then will appear with him in glory. John put it this way. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see, the call to transformation is ultimately a call to get ready for the greatest coming out party in the universe. God's plan is to show off his redeemed people in glory. And to neglect to take that plan seriously is to miss the major point of the Christian life. I got an email from one of my students this year, and at the bottom she had this quote. But Father... We ended up okay, even if I didn't walk with you every single day, didn't we? Yes, child, we ended up okay. But you know, okay was never all I had in mind for you. You and I are made for glory, for uber-reality. And someday in God's greater presence, we will hear the angelic equivalent of move that bus. And in that moment, and not one moment sooner, God will say, hopefully even to nephew Larry, well done. Now you passed. (laughs) Now you passed. For this we have been raised with Christ. For this our lives have been hidden with Christ in God. For this we purify ourselves even as he is pure. The the French poet Charles Pegui said, Life holds only one tragedy ultimately, not to have been a saint. Life holds only one tragedy, ultimately, not to have been a saint. When the saints go marching in, oh Lord, I want to be in that number. Let's pray.
And now, Holy Spirit, continue to preach to us in the way that only you can. And call us to yourselves and break down our resistance to your transforming work in our lives. And let us become all that we are in Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you for this in his name. Amen.